Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. And so as we go forward through the rest of this year and then into next year, I want to make sure that you have your eyes on the right place and that you are supply conscious, not lack conscious. I want to make sure that you are supply conscious and not lack conscious. So today we're going to talk about the supply of God. The supply of God. Deuteronomy chapter 28. We'll start with verse 12. It says, the Lord shall open unto you his good treasure, the heaven to give the rain unto your land in his season, and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend unto many nations, and you shall not borrow. The word treasure here means a treasure house or a storehouse. The word treasure here is a treasure house or a storehouse. The CEB version of the Bible calls it a well-stocked storehouse. The message version calls it sky vaults. A storehouse simply is where you keep abundance. It's a storage facility or a warehouse for which you cannot currently store in your house. It is a storage facility or a warehouse for which you cannot currently store in your house. So there's good news for you because God has a storehouse in heaven and there are things in there with your name on it. God has a storehouse in heaven, and there are things in that storehouse with your name on. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The supply of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 9, a familiar scripture to a number of us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 9, but as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. The word prepared here, the Amplified Classic Edition says, he has made and keeps ready. He has made and keeps ready. And some people like to stop at that verse, like, oh, is it amazing? Eye hasn't seen. Ear hasn't heard all the things God has prepared for those that love him. Well, that's nice in theory, but I don't know about you, but I want it. If God has prepared it for me, I want it. Amen? That's why you got to keep reading, because verse 10 says, but God has revealed them. That word reveal means he took the cover off unto us by his spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. So what God has prepared for you will be revealed to you by the work of his Spirit in your life. So there are some things you can miss that God has prepared for you if you don't follow the leading of the Holy Ghost. If you always follow the leading of what you can hear, what you can see, what you can sense, all the stuff you can do with your natural emotions and your natural senses and your natural abilities, if you live by that, you'll miss out on things God has prepared for you. Now, from time to time, you may stumble into a miracle, stumble into something God has for you. But do you know Jesus didn't live by stumbling? He was led by the Spirit of God. And so God has some things he prepared and made ready for you that he'll reveal them to you as you walk led by the Spirit of God. So let's go to Psalm 31, verse 19. You see, God has made and kept things ready for you for this season, for this time, and for your entire life. And the Holy Spirit reveals these things to you as you take time and spend with him. A lot of us did that this past month when our 31 days of prayer and fasting. But the more you spend time with the Holy Spirit, the more he will reveal things to you. Psalm 31, verse 19. The supply of God. God has a storehouse in heaven and there are things there with your name on it. The Holy Spirit will reveal those things to you in your life. 
And I just love verse 19 here in Psalm 31. It says, Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for them that fear or reverence you, which you have wrought for them that trust in you before the sons of men. So let's break this verse down. Oh, how great is your goodness. That sounds like, oh, yes, God's goodness is great. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus forevermore. Well, that is good, but let's break down what this phrase means. This word great means abounding, abundant, and exceedingly. This word great means abounding, abundant, and exceedingly. This word for goodness means prosperity, good things, property, supply, provision, good in the widest sense of the word, and good to the farthest extreme. This word goodness, once again, means prosperity, good things, property, supply, provision, good in the widest sense of the word, and good to the farthest extreme. So what is he saying? Oh, how great, abounding, abundant, exceedingly. Another word for abounding is overflowing. So how great, abounding, abundant, exceedingly overflowing is your goodness, prosperity, good things, property, supply, provision, good in the widest sense of the word, good to the farthest extreme, which you have laid up. What does laid up here mean? Reserved. For them which reverence you. Anybody reverence God in this place? But then it doesn't just stop there. So it's good that it's laid up and reserved for me. But if it's reserved for me, that means I can get it. And the thing is, he's not talking about you getting the sweet by and by or once you get in heaven. Yes, there are rewards in heaven. And yes, there's amazing things that happen to you once you get to heaven. But God is not just interested in blessing you when you get to heaven. He has something for you right now. Because it goes on and says, which you wrought for them that trust in you, that those who have faith in you, before the sons of men. So God wants to take what's in his well-stocked storehouse and pour it out on the lives of those that reverence him and have faith in him in front of others. So what's in the storehouse of God for you is meant to manifest in your life today. It's meant to manifest in your life this year. It's meant to manifest in your life next year. God in his prevision and provision has laid up for you everything you need. See, one of his names in the Bible is Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees and provides. And before the foundations of the world, he saw what you would need today. He saw what you would need this year. He saw what you'll need next year. And his prevision and provision, he laid it up for you in his well-stocked storehouse. And he wants to manifest it in your life as you walk in reverence towards him, as you walk in faith towards him in front of people. So there are some blessings that will be private, but there are some blessings that are so big, so great, so abounding, so overflowing that people will see it. And they'll look at you like, we don't know how you're this blessed in this year. And you just say, well, my God is not limited to this year. He's God. And this is far beyond just finances. Because this storehouse is stocked full with every good thing you can imagine. And that has been promised to you in Scripture. God doesn't just want to keep it in heaven. Do you know one of the saddest experiences I guess in heaven could be? If God showed you the storehouse... And you got all excited, like, God, is this my reward? He says, no, this is what I had for you on earth, but you just never took it. How many of us miss out on things because we judge ourselves as unworthy to receive it? Because you think it's by your own faithfulness, by your own righteousness that you receive from God. When the Bible tells us our own righteousness is like filthy rags. We don't receive anything because we're good enough. Or, Jesus, I didn't cuss anybody out this week. I didn't knock them out. I didn't tell them they're, they're number one on 285 and 75. They should even be out this late. There's, why is this traffic in Atlanta this late? And I did not tell them I was number one. He's like, well, I was good this week, so I should get blessed next week. That's not how it works. We come to him not by our own righteousness, but by the righteousness of Jesus. We come to him because the blood made a way. See, we're worthy to receive it all because Jesus is worthy. And because he paid the price, I can go to the throne of God and say, well, I receive it all. Because Jesus is worthy. 
And so don't count yourself out of being blessed because you've sinned and you've made mistakes and you've been a hot mess and you've been ratchet. You can go a list because God doesn't bless you because of your list. Because God doesn't see your list. Because to see your list, he would have to go through the blood of Jesus. And the Bible says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If he's cleansed you from all unrighteousness, what's left? Righteousness. So although you may know your list, God doesn't. He has cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. So God does not judge you as unfaithful to receive his best blessings. God doesn't count you as unworthy to receive what he has laid up in the storehouse for you. Because Jesus made a way for you to receive it all. Come on, reread Romans 8. It says, if he gave us Jesus, and he, when he gave us Jesus, he gave us everything. So what's anything else you could need in this life when God gave you Jesus? So you should just be on a regular basis receiving from that storehouse. Go to Malachi chapter 3. Let's talk more about the storehouse. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Verse 10, a lot of us know the scripture because it was a given scripture. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. It says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat or provision in my house, and prove me now, put me to the test as the Lord of hosts or the God of angel armies. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there should not be room enough to receive it. Now, two things. People say, well, tithing, is it under the law or is it after law? Both. Tithing is before the law. You can even see the concept of the tithe in the Garden of Eden. Then you see the concept of the tithe with Abel and Cain. Then you see the tithing by Abraham. Then you see tithing by Abraham's grandson, Jacob. Then you see tithing under the law. Then you see Jesus in the gospel says you ought to tithe. And then you see in the book of Hebrew, which is after the law in the new covenant, talking about tithe. So it's all the above. But know this, tithing is a key to living under an open heaven. If you want to live in op- under an open heaven, be a tither. And so it says, what happens to tithers? That God will open to you, the God of angel armies will open to you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that should not be room enough to receive it. Have you ever wondered what it looks like when God opens the windows of heaven and pours out? What does that look like? Go to Genesis 7. What does it look like when God opens the windows of heaven and pours you out a blessing? What does it look like when God opens the windows of heaven and just pours? Genesis 7, verse 11. In the 600 year of Noah's life, in the second month and the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were what? Open. Skip down to verse 19. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. 15 cubits or 22 feet upward did the waters prevail and the mountains were covered. So what is it saying? When it rained for 40 days and 40 nights and the water fell when the windows of heaven were opened and the gushers came up, there was so much water, it covered the highest mountain by 22 feet. It was so much water, it covered the highest mountain by 22 feet. Which lets me know when God opens up the windows of heaven over my life, When he pours out his blessing on me, what he pours out is bigger than my biggest problem by at least 22 feet. When he pours out something on my life, it is bigger than the greatest circumstance by over 22 feet. When God opens the windows of heaven on my life, what he pours out is way more than enough to swallow up the problem, to swallow up the circumstance, to swallow up the lack, to swallow up the situation. So we can't be lack conscious. We need to be supply conscious. Because our supply is greater than the lack. 
Our supply is greater than the need. doesn't matter what the need is in front of you, whether it's financial, whether it's health, whether it's wisdom, whatever it may be, the supply that God has for you is greater. Let's look at another scripture when God opens the windows of the doors of heaven. Go to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. Psalm 78. Let's look at verse 23. Psalm 78, verse 23. Though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven and had rained down manna upon them to eat and had given them of the corn of heaven, Man did eat angels' food. He sent the meat to the full. So a lot of us are familiar with what this is talking about. That in the wilderness, God fed the people of God with manna from heaven. Now sometimes when we think about manna falling from heaven, we think, well, there's a little bit here and a little bit there. You know, Johnny had enough and Shaquita had enough and Paco had enough and Big Mama had enough and God was just gracious to everybody. But... Some rabbinical literature gave some light to how much fresh manna God poured out every morning. Because he poured it out on six days of the week, and the extra was on the sixth day, so they didn't have to work on the seventh. So every morning, there was enough fresh manna to feed Israel for 2,000 years. Every morning, the rabbi said, manna, fresh manna fed to feed Israel for 2,000 years thousand years. That's equivalent to 4,500 tons of manna every morning. 4,500 tons of manna. And so in the whole time they were in the wilderness, that would have mean 67.5 million tons of manna talking about the supply of God, 67.5 million tons of manna fell, which means there wasn't just a little manna here, a little manna there. It was everywhere. It was more than enough, which is another name of God. He's El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. So it wasn't lack. Because God told me, you can go and get whatever you want. So if you're feeling extra hungry this day, get what you want. God was not stingy with his blessing. God wasn't limited to his outpour. When he opened the windows of heaven, so much came out that entire nation had way more than enough. You know, that reminds me of James 1. Let's go there. This is just who he is. And you have to remember that a whole generation was born and grew up in the wilderness, and they saw the abundance of God as normal. They, supply, they saw the supply of God as normal. Because you imagine being born in the wilderness, and every day Krispy Kreme donuts were falling from heaven, you just went out and picked up one? That was your normal? And some rabbi said that it would taste like whatever you wanted it to taste like? And come on, you know if it came from God, it had all the nutrients you needed for your body. Could you imagine eating donuts that had all the nutrients and wasn't giving you any bad calories? Could you imagine the supply of God? And to them, that was normal. They grew up seeing the supply of God. It's like, of course it's going to happen. They have to wonder, oh, is it going to rain tomorrow? Of course it's What do you mean, is it going to rain manna from heaven? You're crazy. What? Of course it is. The supply of God. See, James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Let's look at verse 16. Do not err, my beloved brethren, every good and perfect gift. This is where perfect means upgrading and completing gift. Is from above and comes down. This phrase in the Greek comes down means like a thunder shower. 
and we're very familiar with thunder showers in Georgia. That everything can look clear for one moment, and you walking outside and whoosh, and you soaked like that. That's the picture here. Good and upgrading and completed gifts come down from God like a thunder shower, with whom is no variables, neither shadow turning. This is who he is. This is his character, and this is his supply, which he has made ready for you and wants to pour out on your life as you walk in reverence towards him and walk in faith towards him. Now, well, how did Jesus minister? Go to John 6. I want you to be so supply conscious when you leave this place, you forget there's a lack. John 6. Let's start with verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that weren't diseased. And so how the Greek painted pictures, they kept seeing and seeing and seeing and seeing and seeing all the miracles that Jesus kept doing and doing and doing. And there was a creative flair to his miracles. It was a theatric ability about Jesus with these miracles he did that no one had seen before. So they just kept following as Jesus kept doing to such a point that Jesus was the biggest tourist attraction of Capernaum. Like they say now, they said then, Capernaum, the city of Jesus. And it was by important routes that if you were heading to Jerusalem, you can stop by Capernaum. And so there was a big festival, big feast coming up, and so people knew Jesus was there. And so they came to watch him do all the miracles he was doing. They were following him. And Jesus went up into a mountain and sat there with his disciples, and the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company which came unto him, he said unto Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? So can you imagine, Kurt, if I just came up to you? You know, everybody was gathered together, and by this case, it's about 20,000 people. Kurt, where can we buy food so that everybody here can eat? Yep, exactly. This is Philip's moment when Jesus asked him that question. And it says, this Jesus said to prove them, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him and said, 200 penny worth or 200 days wages is not enough to feed all these people. Look at him. You know he can eat a lot. All these people. If we had 200 days wages in the bank, that is not enough for everyone here to have a, even a little bit. Jesus, Messiah, sir. Then one of his disciples, can, so can you imagine, Minister Kurt, Minister Eichmann, so now you're trying to figure out how are we going to feed all these people. And then Andrew walks up and says, there's a little kid here. It's a lad, so he's less than five years old. He's got five loaves and two fish. And we like to think these are like some big loaves of bread, maybe some French bread, some big baguettes, and some of these large fishes. No, remember, this is a little kid's lunch. It's a five-year-old. The word for loaves are like crackers. The fish were like the size of anchovies. Andrew walks up to Jesus' staff meeting and brings a Lunchable. Well, y'all looking for food, but Jesus, look, I brought a Lunchable. You know, Peter. You know, Matthew by now, like, shut up. A Lunchable? Why would you interrupt our deep think tank right now to bring us a lunchable. But even Andrew said, what are they among so many? And she said, make the men sit down. The word men here actually means heads of family. And so there are heads of family. You know, you have multi-generational families then like you do now. So there are multiple people living in different homes who are traveling together. So whoever's the head of the family, it says 5,000 of them sit down. So there are 5,000 
families represented right there. So if you have 5,000 families, you know you have way more than 5,000 people. You have at least 20,000 people gathered there. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he gave thanks, this phrase again, he just kept giving thanks and giving thanks and giving thanks. And as he was giving thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. So what happened? When they took what was not enough, and they put it in the hands of Jesus, it became more than enough. So you may look at your life right now and say, well, I'm not enough. I don't have enough. I can't handle this. No, no, no. Put yourself in the hands of Jesus, and when you do, you'll become more than enough for whatever you're facing. You've put your hands, you put your life in the hands of the blessed one. But even more so, Jesus, what did he do? He blessed it and he gave thanks. And so you might see why well, I feel limited right now. Well, just give thanks. It's because things multiply in the hands of the people who are grateful. Things multiply in the hands of the people who are grateful for what God gave them. If all you have is a Lunchable, be grateful for that Lunchable. Because knowing the supply of God, it's not going to stay a Lunchable for long. And so, Jesus divided it. So you know it was something to start with those little crackers. And those anchovies and begin to divide it and divide it and divide it. And maybe those 12 apostles so went into their hands. And then it started multiplying in the hands of the people as they passed it around. And then it says they ate as much as they would. Doesn't mean they were polite. Because you know you have some people who are polite when they eat. Now, some of you, you know, you may remember when you Ladies, you remember when you first started dating, some of you had the philosophy of, well, I'm going to be a polite eater. I'm not going to let them know how much I'm really going to eat. Some of y'all looking at me, it's like, Pastor, don't tell our seekers right now. We all know polite eaters who, when they go to someone's house, and if the food is not that good, ooh, you know what, I think I extended my fast a couple days. <laughs> but I just have a little bit right now. Polite eaters. This word doesn't mean they're polite eaters. It says ate as much as they would. This paints the picture of Thanksgiving, where you know you didn't need the second course, but you had it anyways. You know you didn't need your third helping of sweet potato pie. You know you didn't need your fourth half helping of macaroni and cheese. You know you didn't need all that extra stuff, but she's like, you know what, that's okay. I'll make up for it one day. And then you just kept going. And by the time you're done, you're like, whew, man, I should have eaten that whole pie myself. You're full. That's what it described here. This whole crowd was Thanksgiving level full. From a lunchable in the hands of Jesus. He might say, well, that's greed. No, it's the supply of God. God didn't mind that they had so much until they were full. He's the one who provided it. He's the one who made it available. And if they wanted more, they got more. Why? It was the supply of God. And then when Jesus said, now go gather up the fragments that remain. How are you going to have fragments from a Lunchable? But if it's the supply of God, there's always more than enough. And as they began to gather, they found 12 baskets full. And these aren't even small baskets. These baskets are also luggage compartments. So imagine you going on a trip, because remember, these people were heading to Jerusalem, and you had 12 bags of luggage full of overflow. That's what it's talking about here. But then Jesus did it again. Go to Matthew 15. Matthew 15, the supply of God. Matthew 15, verse 32. Then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude, 
because they're contending out with me three days and have nothing to eat. I'm not going to send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. And his disciples said unto him, where? So it's not even the question how we're going to do this, where we can get it from. Where are we going to get all this bread in the wilderness as to feel so great a multitude? We're in the wilderness. Jesus, DoorDash does not deliver this far. Uber Eats does not come to this block. We are outside the radius of all the delivery people. So where in this radius are we going to get enough food? And she says, well, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven and a few little fishes. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fishes and gave thanks and break them and gave to his disciples. And the disciples did to the multitude and they did all eat and were filled. And they took up the broken meat that was left, seven baskets full. And they that eat besides the 4,000 men, besides women and children. So then he does it again. But go to the next chapter, Matthew 16, verse 5. And so they're heading to the next location, the next spot. It says in verse 5, And when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. So whoever was responsible that week to pack the food had forgotten to pack the food. And so whoever was kind of fessed up to somebody. And it says, Peter, um, dude, I forgot the food. You forgot the word. I forgot the food. You forgot Jesus' food. You f I forgot the food. And so now they're all talking about what are we going to do? We forgot the food. And so Jesus says unto them, be, pay, take heed, be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, it's because we've taken no food. It's I knew it. I knew it was going to catch up for us. We forgot to take the food, and now we're about to get a lesson from Jesus about not packing food. And when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, oh, ye of little faith, why are you reasoning among yourself because you've brought no bread? Don't you understand? Don't you remember the five loaves of the 5,000? And how many baskets you took up? Don't you remember the seven loaves of the 4,000? And how many baskets you took up? How is it that you don't understand? I didn't, I'm not talking about bread. But I'm talking about the leaven of the Pharisees and Sessions. Then they understood how that he didn't talk to them about the leaven of bread, but the doctrine or the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What is Jesus saying? Bruh, look at this. You were just with me the other day. We had a Lunchable and we fed 20,000 people. Then just the other day, we had seven loaves and four little fishes, and we fed all those people. And now you're stressed because you forgot food? Have you forgotten who I am? If I can do that with that, what do you think I can do with our small crew right here? So what are you stressed out about today when there is a supply of God available for you? What have you forgotten about that Jesus has already done in your past? What miracle he's already done? What breakthrough he's already given you? Time and time again, what do you thought? I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know how I'm going to come through. I don't know how this is going to turn for me. I don't know how this is going to shift. I don't know how. I don't know how. And yet here you are, and God did it. Here you is. God brought you through. He turned it around. So what are you stressing about today if God has already proven himself faithful in the past? Because Jesus says, don't you remember? If he did it before, he can do it again. Come on, G 2020 did not tap out God's reserves. He still has a supply for you. And Jesus in his ministry was walking in abundance. He was passing out abundance in his ministry. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, so he still has a supply for you today. So why are you stressing over bread? Go to Matthew 6. Come on, I'm telling you, you're going to be so supply conscious by the time we're done here. There's a storehouse in heaven, but he wants to pour it out in your life today. Matthew 6, verse 25. And Jesus just finished telling him, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and mammon. 
And mammon is not even talking about money, it's talking about a lifestyle and a, the name of a false god. So you got to pick who you're going to serve. So when you get into verse 25, he says, so because of that, I said to you, take no thought for your life. That doesn't mean don't think about it. It means don't worry about it. That phrase means do not be anxious, do not worry about what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. So by implication, your daily needs of life, by even by implication where you live, do not worry about those things. It's not your life more than food and your body more than clothes. Look at the birds. They don't sow, they don't reap, nor do they gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you better than some dirty birds? And have you ever thought how God feeds the birds? That there are people who just love to feed the birds. They like to go to the park and feed the birds. They like to build birdhouses to feed the birds. They enjoy feeding birds. And if God could have people on this planet who enjoy feeding birds, don't you know by now God can set up what you need so that you have more than enough. That God can move on somebody's heart to be a blessing to you. God can move on somebody's heart to help you out. God can move on somebody's heart to open the right door. God can move on somebody's heart so that you have exactly what you need when you need it and you're always in a position of more than enough. If God can feed some dirty birds, don't you know God can take care of you because Jesus said, aren't you better than some birds? The supply of God. Which of you can, by being anxious and worrying, grow taller? And why are you worrying about clothes? Consider the lilies of the field. Look at these flowers. How they grow, they don't toil, they don't spin. Yet I say unto you, Solomon and all his glory, all his money, all his wealth was not dressed like one of these. Wherefore, if God is clothing the grass of the field with these flowers, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Come on, if he causes these flowers to grow to make the field look pretty, and the field exists today, and tomorrow it's cut down and burnt, don't you know he's got your clothes on lock? Don't you know he's going to cause you to be dressed in the best? Don't you know that God has a supplier for you where your clothes are concerned? So why are you stressing and anxious, Jesus said? Therefore, take no thought. Once again, don't be worried. Don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or wherewith shall we clothe? What are we going to wear? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. This is what they live for. This is what they run after. Their needs of life. Now, Gentiles don't just think of nations. This word Gentiles, remember, he's talking to a Jewish audience, an audience that understood covenant. So he says, all the people who don't have a covenant live after and run after these things. Those who don't have a covenant, they're anxious about what they're going to eat, what are they going to drink, what are they going to wear, how they're going to survive. That is what they're living for. All the people who don't have a covenant live for these things. But what is that by implication? Those who have a covenant shouldn't seek after these things. Why? Because the covenant promised you those things. You have a covenant with God. Say, I have a covenant with God. And although Jesus was walking the earth then, the old covenant was still in full of force, and the new covenant hadn't come yet. And so our new covenant, Hebrews says, is a better covenant based on better promises. Do you know why the new covenant is better than the old? It is all the good things of the old plus the good things of the new. Why is a $20 better than a 10? It's got the 10 in it. And so if he could tell these people in the old covenant, you shouldn't be worrying, being anxious, and stressing, about all your basic needs of life because you have a covenant, what does that mean for us who have a better covenant? For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. So don't make it spiritual. Yes, he knows I need peace. Oh, he knows I need the fruit of the Spirit. No, he knows. He knows you're a mess without it. He, he already knows that. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about things, material things. Your father already knows you need it, 
So he gave you a covenant. There is a supply for you. Say, there is a supply for me. So what does Jesus say about this covenant, about our supply? But you seek first the kingdom of God. While all the Gentiles are seeking first, what I'm going to eat, what am I going to drink, what I'm going to wear, what I'm going to clothes, what I'm going to do, 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 what I'm going to do. While all them are running after that, you run after God. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, God's way of being right. You run hard after God. So in the same way the heathen run hard after money, you run hard after God. You run hard after his ways. And what would the result be? All these things shall be added to you. Why? The supply of God. God has a supply for you. You got to think, you know, we're coming up into the Christmas season and we look at the Christmas story and, you know, some of the things Christmas story is cute because we made it cute. But some things about that story ain't cute at all. Come on, you travel into a foreign city and there's no hotel rooms no more? And your wife is super pregnant? That ain't cute. Ladies, could you imagine being super pregnant riding on a donkey on an ancient road? That ain't cute at all. Being in a barn with stanky, not even stinky, stanky animals. That ain't cute at all. And paying taxes at the same time? Oh, no. Not saying you got a tax refund check. No, you paying out. To the point, Mary and Joseph, when they made the sacrifice for Jesus required, they didn't have a lot left. So they gave the sacrifice of those who don't have a lot. But not too long after that, there's this large caravan of rich people looking for Jesus with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There were so many of them that it caught the notice of the capital in Jerusalem and the king. It was so much that Mary and Joseph could leave their home with Jesus and live in Egypt for years. The supply of God. You really think God wasn't let Jesus walk around with not enough? And so if God wouldn't do that to Jesus, why would he do that to you? God has a supply for you. Say, God has a supply for me. Now go to Philippians 4, verse 15. Philippians chapter 4, verse 15. Now you Philippians also know that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again into my necessity. So the only people who were writing about me concerning giving and receiving was you. And when I got into Thessalonica, which is just a few weeks later, in the next city he was going to, he said, you kept sending again and again until what I needed. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. So you were a blessing to me, but what you gave to me cause an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Your gift smelled so good, it rose up to God. But verse 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The New Living Translation says this way, and the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. So as he's talking to these givers right here, the people who made giving their habit, he says the same way God meets my needs, he's going to meet your needs. That when you look at this word supply your needs, it comes from a great word means to cram the net full. That's how God is going to meet your need. And he said he's going to do it according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So once again, we see God has a supply for you. But when we see riches of glory, we should go look at what that is. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 1 as we begin to bring this so close. Ephesians chapter 1, talking about the supply of God. Ephesians chapter 1. 
Verse 17 is a prayer I pray for you frequently, and I encourage you to pray it for yourselves frequently and others. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom, revelation, and the knowledge of him. Why? That the eyes of your understanding are being enlightened. Why? That you may know what is the hope or the expectation of his calling or his invitation, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So we looked at already how God has supplied a storehouse for you in heaven that he wants to take what's in that supply and pour it out on earth. But there's also another supply God has for you. It is called the riches of the glory. And where is the riches of the glory? Inside you. So there's a storehouse in heaven with stuff on your name out, in a name on it. But there's also a storehouse on the inside of you. It's called the riches of glory, or the abundance of the glory. It is the deposit, the work, and the supply of the Holy Spirit in your life. It is the deposit, the work, and the supply of the Holy Spirit in your life. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. Another prayer I encourage you to pray for yourselves. That he will grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. So we see this supply also has strength. This supply has the fruit of the Spirit. This supply has the gifts of the Spirit. This supply has the anointing that God has put upon your life. That this supply, there are things in this supply that are unique to you. Because you know, remember what Paul said in Philippians 1? He says, I'm confident this thing will turn unto me through your prayers and your supply of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he told the church at Philippi, when you gather together and pray, your supplies are coming together and things are turning for my good. Even Ephesians chapter 4 talks about the body of Christ, that every joint has a supply. And as every supply comes together, the body of Christ grows in love. Each one of us has a supply. And your supply may not look like the person on your left or the person on your right, but you have a supply. God, in his foreknowledge, Put more in you than you even knew was available. So when God asks you to do something, he's not asking you because he thinks you can't do it. He's asking you because he already knew what he put in you was enough to do it. There is a supply in heaven for you, but there's also a supply within you. It is the abundance of the glory of God. And when we think about the glory of God, we have to think about Exodus 33. When God was talking to Moses from a cloud, and Moses said, God, I beseech thee, show me your glory. And God said, I'll make all my goodness pass before you. He said, well, God, Moses asked about glory. Well, God's glory is his goodness. See, the word glory means heavy with everything good. And there is a deposit of the glory of God within you. You are carriers of the glory of God. That within you are giftings and anointings and strengths. There's more in you than you ever thought possible. That's how you've been in situations, all of a sudden something came up and it just worked. Like, Whoa, where did that came from? What God put in you a long time ago? And see, God is always adding to that supply. And see, there are times we've gone, we've had experiences where the Holy Ghost has just moved in a unique, special, strong way. And then in those meetings, God puts something on the inside of you. You can see almost like embers. And all it takes for an ember to become a fire is wind. And so God has been putting things in you before you knew. That there, you know, he would send you to these places and you learn these things. Well, this is just random. This is... I don't know why I know this, but it's prepared you for the future. Come on, God's been having you go through things to teach you stuff to prepare you for the future. There's some of the stuff that I did this year and last year, you know, one of the things, and my major in college wasn't a religious major. I was a broadcast journalism major. I was a media major. And so when it came to sheltering in place and doing media, it's just like I went back to college. I pulled out my laptop and my iPad, like, well, let's go to work. I was prepared for this. And so my wife came to me near the beginning of it. He, she said, you know, when you told everybody you were a media major, we all knew what you were called to do, and people were wondering, why is he a media major? No one asked that question now. I was prepared. So even when 
we were building the app last year. When I logged in to do it, it reminded me of when I was a younger teenager building websites. I was like, huh, this is like what I used to do. And so God has been having you do things for years that you thought this is just random, this is just an interest, this is just a hobby. No, it's been preparing you for your future. And so that when things come out, all of a sudden it pops out, oh, I know what to do. I know how to handle this. Wait a minute, God trained me how to do it years ago. Man, God put that right person in my life years ago. And there's a strength for it. There's anointing for it. There's a gifting for it. So all this time, God has been putting things on the inside of you, putting things on the inside of you. So when God tells you to do something, don't back up and say, well, I can't do it. Just know he knows something that you don't. He knows that what he put in you is more than enough. And when you step out in faith to obey the Holy Ghost, it activates. You don't need a feeling to step out. You just need to step out. And that anointing steps on it. One of the things that you guys hear me tell it again and again and again, that people are like, oh, he must be feeling so anointed when he stands behind the Holy Desk. No, I don't. I don't actually feel half anointed right now. It's not about what I feel. It's about what God said. And it's what God promised. And if he said it, then it's going to come to pass. And so there are times, I remember one time years ago, we were having, it was on a midweek experience, the Holy Ghost was moving, and I was talking to a young man after counseling about stuff, and he was, he was talking about, you know, I know you just must have felt what God was doing. I said, no, actually, I didn't feel a thing. So what are you talking about? People were falling everywhere. People were drunk in the spirit. People were getting healed. I said, oh, yeah, I felt nothing at all. So what do you mean? I said, I felt nothing. I just knew God was there. I just knew. And so I just followed him. I just did what he wanted to do. It's not about what you feel. It's great sometimes to feel what God is moving. It's great to feel anointed. It's great to have those experiences. But the thing is, that is not what's supposed to lead you. Come on, that's the cherry on top. That's the whipped cream. But the substance is you living by faith. It's you stepping out knowing that God is faithful. And that he hasn't brought you this far to leave you. That although you may be walking on the water, if you begin to sink, he's there. Didn't we see that in Peter's life? That Peter got distracted by the irrelevant because it did not matter that the winds and the waves were rough because if the wind and the waves were calm, he still couldn't walk on that water. So the storm was irrelevant. What happened, he took his eyes off of Jesus and he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, help me. At least he knew what to say. But notice Jesus right there to catch him. Just lets me know that no matter how your walk of faith is going, God's got a safety net for you. That if you actually dare to follow him, if you actually dare to be led by the Spirit of God, and you make a mistake, God is not going to let you fall. See, you should have taken your eyes off of me. Mm -hmm. oh, he's just going to catch you. Look at you. Why'd you doubt? Come on, let's go. Because after Jesus got Peter, Peter kept walking. Walked back to the boat. See, God can always cause your mistakes to prosper. You may have tripped up. See, some of us are grateful that Peter made a mistake because now we know that even if we trip, Jesus got us. And so as you go forward this year into what God has been putting on your heart to do, Know that he's got you. Know that he's got a supply. You're going to do things that just won't make sense. There's stuff that I'm doing right now that does not make sense. Well, why would you do it right now? Because he said so. So I do it. And I expect God to be God. And so when I, you know, told some people that, you know, we'll start a TV network. You're going to do who? How? Don't worry about it. We got it. And we were prepared for this time. And we started satellite campuses because we were prepared for this time. And you step out to follow God and you watch him move. So don't just stay home and go, well, when God moves, I'll move. No, no, no. When you move, God moves. Especially if he's already told you to do something. If he told you to do it, you're not waiting on him, he's waiting on you. And you have to step out and obey God. Stop waiting for a feeling. Stop waiting for an angel to appear. Stop setting out fleeces because you can get fleeced. 
just obey God. How long will you stay in disobedience when God has a supply for you? That there's a supply in heaven and a supply within you. That you have more than what you need for what's in front of you. The sufficiency of Christ swallows up your insufficiency. The sufficiency of Christ swallows up your insufficiency. Because you can think about all the things, that, all your issues, all your drama, all the different things, and you can be like Moses. God, you can't send me because I, I, I got a stuttering problem. Now, you know, Moses, that was probably the first thing he could think about. You know, I can't pronounce some words right. Moses, you were trained by the best teachers of the day in Egypt. You know how to talk, bro. But whatever he could try to give God excuses, well, I can't do this. People won't like me. People won't listen to me. He had a list. God was not interested in his list. Because even when, God, when Moses told God about his mouth, God said, did not make your mouth? What excuse can he come up with? That's enough to say, God, oh, tell God, like, I made a mistake. God knows you better than you know yourself. And you'll find more fulfillment if you actually step out and do what God told you to do. Oh, I feel scared. Do it scared. Oh, I feel nervous. Do it nervous. Just do it. Get out there. Do what God told you to do. It's like, oh, I, you can, how long are you willing to stay afraid and stay limited and stay like the rest of the world? hoping for normal to come back. Why are you wishing for normal to come back? Why don't you just go after the future God has called you to have? Because, as we said it before, you were complaining about your past. Some of the, ooh, I wish it was 2019 again. Some of y'all were complaining about 2019. So why do you want that to come back? You got to step out and do what the Holy Ghost told you to do. Oh, people are not going to like it. Well, it's either God's your God or those people your God. There's nowhere going in the direction where I thought it would this morning. So whoever it's for, just do whatever Jesus is telling you to do. Please. Step out and follow the Holy Ghost. Be brave. Be bold. Go after him. Go after his plan for your life. Because it's so sad to be a faith person and never use your faith. It's so sad to get great teaching and never use it. To understand how things work in the Bible, but you never work them. Dad Hagen used to say this way. Many people live and die and never get into phase one of what God called them to do. Many people live and die never step into phase one of what God told them to do. Don't let that be you. Go to Psalm 65, verse 11. Psalm 65, verse 11. says, you crown the year with your goodness, and your paths drop fatness. They drop upon the pastures of the wilderness, and the little hills rejoice on every side. You crown the year. This is where crown means surround. You surround your year, the year with goodness. We already looked at what the word goodness means earlier. With his supply, with his prosperity, with his provision with his property, with good in the widest sense of the word, good to the farthest extreme. You surround the year with it, which means your November is surrounded with it. Your December is surrounded with it. But I want to focus on the last part of this verse. And your paths drop fatness. The word paths here is, means tracks. The word paths here means tracks. This word paints the picture of God going down the path ahead of us. 
Remember, the path God has for us is already prepared. Remember what Ephesians 2.10 tells us? That God has already prepared a prearranged, made ready the life for us. Remember, he's the God who sees and provides. One translation says, the tracks made by your carts overflow with riches. Another translation says, your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. Another translation says, your footsteps draw prosperity behind them. And even still another translation, your carts overflow with abundance. So what is this picture right here? A cart on a wagon overflowing as it goes down the path, leaving abundance behind. So there's a cart and a wagon going ahead, and it's God's cart and wagon, going down the path he's called you to take, going down the place he's called you to go. And before you can even walk it, God's cart has been spilling over. God's card has been dropping stuff on your path. That abundance and riches have been dropping on your path ahead of you. So this picture is painted here is God has left prosperity and abundance on the path he's called you to take. Then we look at verse 12. The word for drop here paints the picture of droplets of water like dew. In certain conditions, fog or water vapor can leave water droplets. The fog of God has passed over your path, leaving droplets of abundance and prosperity. This wasn't a small amount of fog with a small amount of droplets. How do we know that? This word wilderness means desert and uninhabited land. And it says that they drop upon the pastures of the desert or uninhabited land, and the little, little hills rejoice on every side. Your path is dripping with so much of God's abundance. It makes the desert and wilderness places he calls you to walk through produce. That what's on your path is way more than enough for you because it makes where you walk through produce. So you don't, you're not afraid to walk through the valley of the shadow of death because what's on you changes the valley. You're not afraid to walk through the valley of the shadow of death because what's on you changes the valley. You can't be afraid to walk through a wilderness or a dry season because what's on you causes the wilderness and the desert to produce. Remember, you have a supply in heaven. You have a supply within you. And on your path, God has dropped abundance on every side. And he needs you to walk that path, not just so you and your four are blessed, so that other people are blessed, so other people are encouraged, so other people can be delivered. So don't be afraid of the shadow of death because he's with you. You are called down your path for a reason. You may be the first person in your family to do this and all the list of things, but he needed somebody in your family to do it. And Jacob's family, they were all out of faith, so he needed a Joseph. There might be things going on in your life. Sometimes you just got to call yourself Joseph. Somebody, you just got to call yourself the first person. Somebody said, well, I don't want to be first. Well, somebody's got to be first if you want your family to have breakthrough. Somebody's going to have to be first if you want your family to be transformed. Somebody Somebody has to be first if you want the next generation to be better than your generation. There is a path God has for you, and on that path is more than enough because there's more than enough within you. There's more than enough in heaven. There's more than enough on the path, and you are the child of the God who is more than enough. So you must walk the path God has for you because there's somebody on the other side of your obedience. There's somebody on the other side of your call. There's somebody who needs to see Jesus in you and Jesus through you. There's somebody who's heading to hell if you don't step up and do what God has called you to do. There's somebody's life who's about to be ruined if you don't walk the path he has for you. So don't be afraid. Don't be concerned what they're saying on the news. Do what God has called you to do. Jesus is coming soon. And what God has called you to do is an extension of the ministry of Jesus. So you must follow the path. You must follow the path. Oh, you must follow the path. You must follow the path that I have for you. You must follow the path that I've prepared for you. It is made for you. It is custom designed for you. I've made it ready for this time. I've made it ready for this season. I just need you to trust me. I just need you to respect me. I just need you to follow me. And as you begin to walk out, as you begin to run, as you begin to flow with me, as you begin to soar with me, you'll begin to see wonderful and marvelous things. This path that I prepare for you is overflowing with my abundance. This path that I prepare for you is overflowing with 
with my anointing. This path that I prepare for you, it's overflowing with my goodness. So if you just take a step out today, you'll see the manifestation of my power. So take the step. 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 He's with you every single step of the way. He's with you every single step of the way. He's not brought you this far to leave you, so take the step. He's with you. And he's your shepherd. He's leading down paths he knows that are for you. So you have to follow the path. You have to follow the path. You have to follow the path. Oh, glory to Jesus. You have to follow the path. Even when it looks impossible, you have to follow the path. Even when it looks like it can't happen, you have to follow the path. Even when it looks like you're crazy for following God, you have to follow the path. Even when it looks like I don't know how it's going to change, I don't know what's got, how it's going to happen, you're going to have to follow the path. Even when people say you can't do that in a pandemic, you've got to follow the path. Even when people say there's no way it can change because of your family, because of your background, because of your education, you have to follow the path. Even when people say it can't happen because of your gender, it can't happen because of your race, it can't happen because of your age, you have to follow the path. Even when the news says no, you have to follow the path. Even when the politicians say no, you have to follow the path. Even when the economy says no, you have to follow the path. Even when everything in your life screams no you must follow the path God has for you get out your comfort zone you don't need the comfort zone you have a comforter oh Holy Spirit living God follow the path follow the path follow And don't get off that path for nothing. No glory to Jesus. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.